When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 224, and we are recording on March 24th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot and all of the social distancing and self-quarantine. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. I made chili, so that's good. Great. I made a giant crock pot of carnitas that will feed me for a week. Yes. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah, at the time of this recording, Pennsylvania has just gone on stay at home, which I'm pretty sure is the same thing as shelter in place, but maybe they're trying to make it sound less scary. So (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But anyway, that's my story. Yeah, Richmond, the governor just had a press conference yesterday and announced that the schools in Virginia are closed for the rest of the year, which Mm. means my children will be here until September. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! That's all I've got. I've just got sounds and like... Just sounds. I think that's all we've all got. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but you know, we're going to do our best to actually have a show this yeah. week. So here we go. <laughs> With our brains and our mouths. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, if you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. Um, the show is, as we said at the top, a personalized reading recommendation show, which means y'all send in questions about what you should read next, what you should gift to a friend or relative, what your book club should read, etc., etc. And you let us know what you like, and we will do our best to find you a good next read. You can email those requests to us. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. Or you you can drop them in the form that's at the show notes uh, for every episode on the site. And if you have a time-sensitive question, you're hoping to get a response back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive, all caps, right at the top of the form or in the subject line of the email. Let us know by when. We'll do our best. If we're not going to get to your request on air by that point, we might send you an email. So keep an eye out for those. Um, and since, you know, we are all in the grips of a global pandemic, you mm-hmm. might also be interested to know that we are keeping an eye on how the bookish world is handling COVID-19 and we've dedicated a spot to it on site and the link for that will be in the show notes. So if you are interested in hearing more about that, some of it's good. So that's that's nice. Not all of it, but some of it. Um, (laughs) The link will be in the show notes for you. All right, so I'm going to read our first question, and then we will do a sponsor, and away we will go. Uh, First question is from Christy, who says, oh, also, obviously, we don't get to all of these on time, because this question starts out now that it's February. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for books that have an eternal summer feeling. I'm almost done with Call Me By Your Name and have read A Month in the Country by Carr twice. Can you recommend any books that are sort of nostalgic and dreamy? Bonus if they're works in translation. All right, let's take a break for our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. 
College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Amanda, I, I don't know about you, but I had trouble with this question. Yeah, Eternal Summer. That's like a that's a very specific kind of feeling to nail down. And if you hadn't said that you were inspired by this or whatever because of Call Me By Your Name, that's what I would have recommended. <laughs> right. um, but I totally understand what, what like you're going for. So I picked The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides, which comes with a trigger warning for can you guess it's in the title? Yes. Okay, suicide. Um, and this is an entire book about summer and nostalgia and dreamy, melancholy sadness. Despite the title, which would suggest that the book is about the virgins and their suicides. It is not. It is about the boys who are in love with them. Unsurprising, coming from a dude author. I still love it. It's fine. Anyway, so this takes place, I think it's the 50s or 60s. It's like long ago. And you're being told the story by uh, the boys in this neighborhood who are now adults and are looking back on the summer of their life in this period or this year in their life um, when they became like as a group obsessed with this group of five sisters, this family of five sisters um, who's parents were very religious and very strict and didn't let them go on dates, didn't really let them socialize. Um, and the house was just generally dysfunctional. And so the sisters all are rebellious in their own separate ways. And most of them are teenagers. I think the youngest one is 12 or something close to that. Um, and the boys just kind of, I mean, if I read it now, I would say that they stalk these girls, like they watch them through their windows. Um, as adults, they've collected um, like newspaper clippings about their deaths and and you know pieces of trash out of their yard that they kept forever and they're just like worshipful of these girls both as 
boys and as adults now that they've been gone for years and these men have like are now men have moved on with their lives physically you know like they've gotten jobs they've moved out they have families of their own but they're all still really wrapped up in the summer and the or the year rather that they spent obsessing over these girls and their lives um and what happened to them when they all committed suicide so it's a very obviously sad um and depressing book but it's so dreamy and weird because you're not being told the story of these the life of these girls by them. Like there's no interior monologue. You don't necessarily get all the details about what's going on in the house or what drives them to their multiple suicide attempts. Um, you're you're seeing everything that happens to them through a veil of these boys who are like desperately in love with them, even though they don't really actually know anything about them. And that's so telling and has that kind of nostalgic ache of like you know, teenage love, when you think that everything is so weighted and so important and like, this is the strongest I'm ever going to love a person, even though I really don't know anything that she does with her time. (laughs) And like, that's not limited to teenage boys. That's definitely how I was when I was a teenager. So I think that this will have a similar tone or like mood, even though it is so sad and about such an oppressively upsetting topic. It does have that like dreamy veiled summer kind of this is the feeling I'm going to feel forever because I'm a teenager thing that I think Call Me By Your Name also has. So that's The Virgin of Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides. Mine is also kind of depressing, (laughs) but your examples were not exactly like happy feel good summer Mm. books. So that's what I was going on. And I picked A Separation by Katie Kitamura, which is about a marriage that's ending. Um, The main character is a woman whose husband has been cheating and they've agreed to have a separation, as you might guess from the title. Um, But they haven't told anybody yet. And, you know, they're just kind of like not ready to deal with the fallout from friends and relatives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So they're moving on with their lives. She started seeing somebody else. She's like thinking about like, you know, divorce papers and all of that stuff. Um, And then she hears that her soon-to-be ex-husband has gone missing in the south of Greece. And like, apparently she's the one who needs to go find him because, you know, nobody knows that they're split up. So it will look super weird if she doesn't go looking to find him. So she goes and then, you know, the book sort of unravels from there. Um, But the feel of this is so sort of gauzy. Like she's having all of these random sort of encounters in the south of Greece. And, you know, some of them are positive, some of them are negative. But the scenery is very present. And it does definitely have that just like sort of wandering, meandering out of time feel to it. And part of that is the emotional weight of, you know, what she's doing. And then part of that is, you know, uh, like I said, the atmosphere and the the location. Um, but it does just have this sort of, you know, gauzy summary feel to it, even though I, you know, I can't remember the exact season, but it's definitely not cold where she is. So there's that. It's very Mediterranean, uh, which always makes me think of summer. And so, yeah, I think I think the vibe is similar. I mean, I mean, this is this is the closest I could get to what it felt like you're you were looking for with your examples. So, again, that's A Separation by Katie Kitamura. All right. Our next question is from Rebecca, who says, very close friends of mine just had their second child this morning, as of 
the time of writing, not this morning, like right now. They were expecting a little girl, but upon delivery, it was discovered that their baby is intersex. Would you be able to recommend any books about parents with an intersex child or stories about intersex children or adults? We are all reading as much as we can in an effort to learn the language and history of intersexuality, but I would love to add some semi-fictional or fictional stories to our repertoire. Own voices would be wonderful, and picture books for kids would also be welcome. Baby's big brother loves to read, so it would be nice to add some gender diversity to his bedtime story rotation. Um, I am thus far aware of Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides, and Annabelle by Catherine Winters as books with a theme of intersexuality. Okay, I picked None of the Above by I.W. Gregorio for you, which is a YA novel, so obviously not a picture book um, for the adults in this situation, um, about a teenager who is like super popular. Her name is Kristen. She's homecoming queen, voted for homecoming queen, um, like a star athlete. I think she's a hurdler, like a track star in the book. Um, she's got a full scholarship to college, boyfriend, best friend, like, Kristen is living the life, right? The high school dream. And she's in like such a great place that she's decided that she's ready to have sex with her boyfriend for the first time and like take the relationship to, the, to that level. Um, but then the evening does not go as planned. Something physically feels off to her. So she goes to the doctor and the doctor tells her that she is intersex, which means for her that she outwardly is very feminine and but has male chromosomes and some male anatomy. And so Dealing with all of that, of course, for Kristen is, like, difficult enough. The fact that, like, no one ever told her. Did her parents know? What does this mean for, like, who I am? All that kind of stuff. Um, but then her diagnosis is somehow leaked to her entire school. And so her boyfriend has to start, you know, has to decide, like, is this a thing that I can deal with? And all of it, she starts to get bullied. And, like, her world and this, like, very ivory tower kind of popular homecoming queen world that she's built starts to crumble all while she's also having to deal with questions about you know her own feelings about herself and her identity and her body and her health so obviously your friend's baby is not a high school student <laughs> brand new to the world and you know i hopefully will not have to deal with any of this kind of bullying or nonsense um, that the character in this book has to deal with but i think that a lot of it has to do with how the family did like that she just doesn't know that she doesn't know and builds this whole life around expecting herself or in her experience to be one thing like she's told in the book that she's never going to be ha be able to have children and she has to deal with that whereas i i think a baby that's born and given the knowledge of what their body is like from the jump who doesn't create these very gender-based expectations um, that, that are then like snatched away from them like they are in this book like this I don't know I don't want to call it a cautionary tale because I don't know your friend's kids um, situation uh, but it kind of feels like that like a not a great way to handle a kid and like their feelings about their own body I don't know I think that it's very useful either way whether or not it applies specifically to your friend's child or not it's just a useful experiential read um, and will give you a lot of the language uh, around how to discuss intersexuality. So that's None of the Above by I.W. Gregorio. I focused on the gender diverse picture book side of this question. Um, so I actually I never do this anymore, but I have two picks for you. Um, the first one is When Aiden Became a Brother by Kyle Lukoff and Kehlani Wanita, which is so sweet and lovely. And this book is really specifically about um, a trans boy, but it's also about this kid 
becoming an older brother. His mom is about to have another baby. And the thing that Aiden is worried about is that, you know, for a long time, people thought he was a girl and he had to convince them that he wasn't. And he's worried that when the baby comes, he will think the baby is one thing and it's not. And he doesn't want the baby to go through what he went through trying to make people understand who they are. And this like beautiful awareness around sometimes it's hard to figure out who someone else is or who you want to be and like how you know people mess up but then they can make it right or how we talk to each other about who we are and how we're feeling in our bodies I think is so helpful across the gender spectrum and it's just such a sweet story and it does have you know like a brother and a new baby so there's a lot of nice touch points i think it sounds like for this family um that you are friends with and then my second pick and this is i i don't know how old the brother is so this might be a little too old for him but something to have on the shelf um for both for everyone for the future is sex is a funny word about a book about bodies feelings and you by Corey silverberg and illustrated by fiona smith i love Corey silverberg's picture books they are fantastic they tackle so many great things and this one is all about like you know, bodies, gender, and sexuality for eight, seven to 10 year olds, as well as parents and caregivers. So, like, it's not specifically intersex, but it covers that along with just everything. And I think having the, the, the terminology that is age appropriate and also a way to discuss it that, like, situates it amongst the whole spectrum of gender. Like, it's not just like one, you know, potentially scary, weird thing. Like, it's just part of the spectrum of gender. There's all kinds of different parts on the spectrum. There's all kinds of places you could be. And here's a book about them and about where you fit into that and how you might be feeling. So super useful. Again, that sex is a funny word by Corey Silverberg and Fiona Smith. And the first book I talked about was When Aiden Became a Brother by Kyle Lukoff and Kehlani Juanita. All right. Our next question is from also a Kristen uh, <laughs> who says, after 15 years in an emotionally and sometimes physically abusive relationship, I confessed to a beloved friend who'd seen me through it all that I was more than a little in love with him. He reciprocated. I said about exiting my marriage and a joyful restorative romance ensued. Unfortunately, it couldn't survive the chaos of the long, vicious divorce. I don't think anything could have. I mourned for a few months going through the motions of motherhood and work, but by the but the time has come to rejoin the world. Therapy and mindfulness exercises have been extremely useful, but reading myself back to life has been most effective. With that in mind, give me some tragic romances for catharsis. Books that have worked best are The English Patient, The End of the Affair, and The Sparrow, also the film Only Lovers Left Alive. I read pretty much everything except romance, and in that case, it's just a lack of familiarity. Okay, Amanda, what do you got? Okay, I picked An American Marriage by Tayari Jones, which is just the most tragic of tragical tragedies to ever tragedy. I don't know. That's not a verb. Um, so it's about a modern marriage um, between Celestial and Roy, who uh, he, I think he's in banking. I don't remember. He's like a young professional, uh, and she's an artist who builds these really elaborate and expensive dolls. Um, they are both black and from the South. I think they're from Atlanta or outside of Atlanta. Um, they're newlyweds and they go um, back to Roy's hometown to visit his family. And while they're staying in the hotel in town, Roy is arrested for a rape that he did not commit and is sentenced to 12 years in jail. So they're 
like American dream, newlywed bliss, totally destroyed. She's not going to see him again um, because they live. They don't live in in the the place where he's been arrested and imprisoned. She lives quite far away, um, so she's not going to come visit him very often. They write letters. They're trying to like maintain their marriage through this terrible um, period, while Celestial's family, who's very wealthy, is trying to get him out of jail. Like we've hired a lawyer who is uh, related to her to appeal, but you know that kind of thing takes forever, um, and so uh, there's not a lot of hope. While all this is happening, Celestial turns to her best friend from childhood named Andre, who is the best man at their wedding. And that relationship becomes more complicated the longer that Roy is in jail. Um, And then after five years, Roy's conviction gets overturned and he comes back to Atlanta to get her. Like, we are, I still love you. You know, like, we're going to be together. I know my time in prison. It's been a long time, but like, I'm here. Um, And it doesn't turn out the way that he would like. And like, what? happens after that you know the the tragedy here is that through no fault of either of theirs their their love and their marriage which was so like blissful and happy at the beginning completely deteriorates um it's not a happy book but that seems to be exactly what you're looking for unlike a lot of the books that you named neither of them die (laughs) in this one Uh, but it's still extremely sad like there's no it's one of those things where you think about I don't, there's no way that they could have survived. And it's just the, you know, a trick of Terry Jones being such a talented writer is that you can't imagine any other outcome of, which I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but you can't imagine another outcome for either of them. Um, And it's, you you have to, I don't know, my book club read this and there were so many conversations about like, did Celestial wrong him? Did Roy expect too much of her? Like, it's such an interesting, thought-provoking book um, about a love that like could not, survive just couldn't so that's an american marriage by tayari jones yeah also super tragic (laughs) my pick is one day by david nichols talk about cathartic uh somebody does die i'm not going to tell you who because spoilers but this is about emma and dexter who meet for the first time on their i think it's i'm pretty sure it's college graduation yeah the evening of their college graduation and like are you know theoretically not going to see each other again like they're both going to go live lives and the sort of constructual conceit of this book is that you know each chapter is a single day from the a year later so like how are they going moving in and out of each other's lives how do they feel about each other how do they sync up or not sync up and there's so many feelings and so much like to be moved by mm-hmm. and sad about <laughs> um it's it, like it's i think it's definitely very cathartic for what you're looking for there's also a movie that i saw when it came out a while back and i remember it being like exactly the kind of thing like yeah if you just like want to sit and like cry at your tv for a while like that is a movie that will do it to you so again that's one day by david nichols all right, our next question is from Lindsay, who says, Elizabeth Warren has dropped out of the 2020 presidential race, and I am grieving. Can you recommend any books to give me hope for a world in which misogyny doesn't prevent the most qualified candidates from having a real chance at leadership? Fiction or nonfiction work, I'm not even sure quite what I'm looking for, save something that can inspire me and give me hope when I'm feeling fairly hopeless. This is time sensitive because I want to be able to get back in the fight to elect Democrats in November as soon as possible. Okay, 
I picked, look, y'all are going <laughs> to laugh at me, but this, I have not recommended this book a single time this year. So I, and it's March. So I get a lot of cookies for that. I picked Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, which I will try to not talk about for the rest of the year. But like what, now that I've realized that I haven't talked about it at all, that's probably not going to It's happen. all over. <laughs> I know. So this is like, as you all know, because I've talked about it a million times, this is a romance between America's first son. So the son of the president and the Prince of Wales. So it's a romance between the two of them. It's all very secret, secret. The prince is in the closet and it's like a whole drama. But I didn't pick that because of their because of the plot. I didn't pick that for that. I picked it because the president, Alex Claremont Diaz, is the um, president. Oh, wait, no. Alex is the son. Um, and his mother, uh, President Diaz, is a woman. And the setup for this book is so soothing because Casey McQuiston wrote it after the 2016 election. And it has a lot of similarities. Like there's a whole ch- part of there's a whole plot in the book about like emails getting leaked and whether or not like that disqualifies somebody for leadership and all of that. Um, but it tur- but the it ends the way that the election in 2016 should have, <laughs> if that makes sense. So like if you're looking for a way to rewrite history where like the horrible, unqualified misogynist does not win, but the extremely qualified, competent woman does win, then this is this is the book for you. And it, she wins, and then, like, her son goes off to have this wonderful romance with a prince. Like, it's just soothing on every level. Um, it felt corrective to me when I read it, even though we still live in this, like, literal hellscape where now our idiot president is destroying a bunch of lives, like, literally. Um, but I still was like, this is what I wish had happened, <laughs> you know? Um, and you can feel that. You can feel all of this hope coming out of it. It's not angry. It's not, she didn't write it from a place of like, I'm going to make this, you know, restorative novel that I'm going to put all of my like rage and grief into. It's just hopeful. It's just hopeful that um, things can turn out differently in the future. And the mom in the book as a president is a, she's a great president and a great mother, which was so nice to read. It was so nice to read. So that's Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. I picked The Book of Delights by Ross Gay, which is sort of like, they're little, they're tiny essays. Essayettes? Is that a word? Anyway, they're <laughs> mini essays uh, about delight, as you might guess from the title. Ross Gay is a poet who started this project on his birthday one year and throughout the course of the year, not quite every day, but like pretty regularly, wrote down you know, a thing that brought him delight on that day. And what I love about this book and what made me pick it for this question is that he is still grappling with all of the political and social realities of our country and like all of these very intense questions and anxieties and he is a person of color. He's a black man. So that is, you know, he has his own experiences that are less than stellar based on how people react to him. And through all of that, he is still talking about delight. And he, the way that he weaves together the hard things and the delightful things is so soothing. It's so lovely. It's so thoughtful. Some of it's really funny. And it is just like a balm to the soul and the brain. Uh, And I think that, you know, when I think about what I want to read to help me get ready for, you know, the next time when I'm going to do a big push for something I believe in, the thing that I need to remember is that, like, it can be hard but also good, and we can have setbacks but still find the way forward, and that's what this book 
does, I mm. think. So again, that's The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. And now it is time for another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just going to let y'all know that this is now, you know, the COVID-19 recommendations show. Uh, and if you don't want to hear about what people are struggling with or you just don't want to think about it anymore, you probably would prefer to skip the rest of the show. So mm -hmm. consider yourselves warned. All right. So the next question is from Brooke, who says, with COVID-19 dominating news cycles, I keep thinking about the one historical fiction book I've read set during the Spanish flu outbreak of 1918, As Bright as Heaven by Susan Meisner. Do you know of any others? I also recently read The Dreamers by Karen Walker Thomas, which is sci-fi around a pandemic. That was intense to read right now, but I'd probably do it again. So whatever flu outbreak stories you want to share. Amanda, what you got? Um, <laughs> I picked Fever 1793 by Laurie Hulse Anderson like a week ago when I picked these questions. And then I saw on Twitter yesterday that she thinks that she's got it. Well, I got COVID-19 <laughs> or is getting tested. She's sick. Yeah, she's getting uh, tested. Yeah. So that just feels like doubly relevant. I don't know. Um, I picked this because it's middle grade and kind of easier to read, easier to read, not subject matter wise, but like. It's middle grade, so it's designed for a reading level that is probably lower than an adult, right? Um, and I think that that is a great thing to pick up right now if you're feeling especially stressed um, or anxious as like a middle grade children's book. Why 
um, YA for you know readers on the younger side of the, more Y than A, I guess. Um, so this is historical fiction, and it takes place in the summer of 1793 in Philadelphia, and it's about a girl named Maddie who is 14, um, and she is uh, very how do you how do you even describe Maddie? Like she's very practical um, and like ambitious. She's got a lot of ambitions for her family's coffee house that serves all kinds of people coming in and out of Philadelphia. And at the time in 1793, Philadelphia was very much like a hub of commerce. Obviously, still is. Um, lots of strangers coming in and out, and there are rumors uh, when the book opens that there is some kind of fever going around. There are people that's mostly affecting people like down at the docks. You know, um, poor people that her family doesn't necessarily associate with that much. But then the serving girl at the coffee house that her family owns um, becomes ill, doesn't come to work, and the fever starts to spread. And this was the yellow fever. I don't. I think in the book they call it something else, like the blight or something like that. Um, but the so the fever starts to spread, and as it as it spreads through more and more parts of Philadelphia and more and more affluent parts of Philadelphia specifically, people start to panic. Um, and if you there's so much familiarity in this, like people start to hoard supplies, they become really uh, inconsiderate and selfish and violent in a lot of cases. And Maddie, who again I will say is 14, which I guess in 1793 is like our equivalent of 25. I don't know, um, has to care for the people around her. And also, um, there's like a journey she has to go on. She's got to keep herself from getting sick. She has to survive not just the fever, but what's happening in society around her in response to it. Um, you know, in a time with no like news or <laughs> um, way of getting to or like a grocery stores or any of the things that are making our experience right now easier um, to deal with. They don't have any of that. They also don't have, you know, modern medicine. Like the most common treatment for the yellow fever in 1793 was to bleed somebody, um, which obviously did not work. Uh, There was no like CDC universal standards or universal precautions against the transmission of disease. So Maddie's facing a lot of a lot of struggles in this outbreak. She's such a like great kick butt girl and reading about her survival, the the way the creative ways that she comes up with um, to get through this situation are they're very they're very inspiring. Um, so that's Fever 1793 by Laurie Hulse Anderson. Laurie, stay home. I hope you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, extremely same. Okay, so we actually have a post that I'm going to link to in the show notes that is nothing but fictional pandemics. So if you really want to fall down a rabbit hole on this and, you know, talk about catharsis, Mm -hmm. um, go for it. My pick is Severance by Ling Ma, which I know we talked about a lot on this show when it first came out, but we haven't talked about it in a minute. And I picked this in part because there are books that are more like flu focused but i thought this one was interesting because it feels very similar in a lot of ways but also the pandemic is a little bit more how do i want to say like surrealist sort of (laughs) and so it is uh like i said about candace who is a millennial living in new york who has just sort of like a job that she's not passionate about. It just pays the bills. It's an office job. And her parents have just died. And um, she's Chinese-American. Her parents were Chinese immigrants. And she's just like, she doesn't mind sort of being drifting along and being like a little bit, you know, robot or checked out. Like she's just like, she just wants to go to work, you know, do her job watch movies, you know, hang out with her boyfriend. Like, that's it. She doesn't have ambitions. She doesn't want anything else. And then uh, a fever starts spreading through, you know, the world and New York. 
And, you know, all of the things that are happening now are happening. People flee, companies shut down, the subways stop running. You know, there's lots of confusion about how it spreads and what you should do to protect yourself. And she gets paid to be part of a skeleton crew, keeping the office just barely open. And she's just like by herself in this office building in Manhattan, watching the city sort of stop around her. And at that point, she like... Like she discovers, though, that she can't stay there indefinitely and things are starting to get very bad. So she leaves New York and falls in with a group of survivors led by this very, like, controlling, not actually great in the long run guy named Bob, of course. Um, <laughs> Given Bob's a bad name. And uh, and he says, like, oh, there's this place where, you know, we'll have everything we need to start over and, you know, come with me and I will lead you to this place where everything will be fine. And Candace, you know, for various reasons, goes along but is keeping sort of one foot out the door. And you see sort of how things unfold from there. And the fever in this case turns people into a little bit zombies. They just keep doing the last thing they were doing when they got sick over and over and over again. So whether it's like watering plants or like sweeping a floor or whatever it is, that kind of thing, um, until they die. And uh, so there's, you know, metaphor here, um, as well as actual sort of pandemic lifestyle. Um, things get, you know, like it's very end of the worldy, which, you know, knock wood, we will not get to. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you're, again, looking for catharsis and that kind of read, then I think this is a good one. Again, that's Severance by Ling Ma. All right. Our next question is from Alice, who says, I'm having serious anxiety attacks due to the coronavirus and the country where I'm living now, the Netherlands, is about to go on lockdown. To cope with the anxiety, like many people, I turn to books, in particular historical fiction filled with political intrigues. I have just finished rereading Tales of Otari by Leanne Hearn for the 15th time. Wow. And I need more. Could you send a couple of recommendations for historical fiction filled with political intrigues, whimsical and evocative descriptions, and characters that you love? then you hate, then you love again. Bonus points if it's not set in Europe and part of a series of more books. I tend to get a tiny bit obsessive. Other books I've loved are The Secret History, The Ministry of Utmost Happiness, and the Sally Lockhart series by Philip Pullman. All right, so I did pick something in Europe, sorry, but it felt really perfect. So I picked Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel, which is a trilogy about Thomas Cromwell, and the last one just came out like a week ago. Wait, no, it was probably longer than that, like two weeks ago. Um, So it's a complete trilogy, and they're all giant, so they should keep you busy for a long time. She's won, I mean, like, who needs to tell you about Wolf Hall? She won the Booker Prize for the first two and a bunch of other um, prizes. So it's set in fifteen in the 1520s, obviously, because it's about Thomas Cromwell, um, who was a minister and lawyer and, like, thinker, I guess, I don't know what to call him, uh, to Henry VIII. So when Henry VIII wants to annul his marriage to Catherine um, from Spain so that he can marry Anne Boleyn, uh, you know, the Pope and most of Europe was like, mm, hard pass on that one, Henry, keep it in your pants. But Thomas Cromwell was like, actually, I think this is a great idea for all of these various and sundry political reasons. So Thomas Cromwell was really instrumental in helping Henry um, put Catherine aside and marry uh, Anne Boleyn and separate England from the rest of the from the Catholic Church. And so this uh, this trilogy is about him. Um, and man, it's 
so great. It's so great and like intriguing and weird. I, if it's written in a kind of weird point of view, uh, which takes a little bit of getting used to, especially since it's, but it's 600 pages. So like you get used to it eventually. But Cromwell is such a fascinating figure. And you can tell that Hilary Mantel really loves him and also hates him a little bit, but also loves him. So that's kind of why I picked this because he was brilliant, completely ruthless, and like had no problems ordering people to be tortured, decapitated, removed from, you know, um, power so that he could steer the king and therefore the country in the direction that he wanted it to go in. Um, Things did not ultimately turn out well for Thomas Cromwell, if you know anything about history. I don't know if that's a spoiler because it's real and it happened 600 (laughs) years ago. Um, But the last book is about his, you know, untimely end. Um, So all three books totally worth reading. Actually, I can't say that about the last one because I haven't started it yet, but it's sitting on my table and I plan to start it this weekend. (gasps) So that's Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Just a side note that everyone in that series is named Thomas. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah, yeah. confusing. Yeah, and most of them get beheaded. So, yeah, like, who right. even are you? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, yes, another Thomas who's been beheaded. It's just a thing. Uh, but I will co-sign that recommendation. I picked the Ibis Trilogy by Amitav Ghosh, which starts with the Sea of Poppies, because it is exactly what you're looking for. It is a epic historical fiction series that takes place, well, it moves around because it starts on a boat, which is awesome. Um, the trilogy is named after the boat, the Ibis, which is uh, crossing the Indian Ocean right before the outbreak of the Opium Wars in China. And there are just like a bunch of different people on the boat. So like you have, you know, Indians and Westerners and an American and a French orphan and all of these different people who have all of these different backgrounds and are now, you know, sort of thrown together by the fires of history, as it were, (laughs) and are, you know, weaving in and out of historical, you know, real historical things that happened, but fictionalized, obviously. Um, And it is so lush. It's so immersive. You can definitely get lost in in it and like you know get all sucked into you know all of the political machinations and coincidences and happenstances and it's very engrossing and I think this is you know exactly the kind of thing that you're looking for um so again that's the sea of poppies it's the first book in the ibis trilogy and it is by Amitav Ghosh And our last question is from Mary, who says, Light, fluffy books needed desperately in the current time. I read many genres, but with all of the coronavirus news happening, as as I say, every day the world seems to collapse, and then we get up and try to do it again the next day. I realized I need some light, fluffy books to get through the next few weeks slash months. I am a children's librarian, so I have read many kids' books. I'm open to most anything light. Please help fill my reading needs. Amanda, you picked a book I love. (laughs) Me too. I picked the lightest, fluffiest thing I've ever read in my entire life on this planet. And that is Touched by an Alien by Jeannie Koch. (laughs) Or Koch. Well, I should have looked that up beforehand, but here we are. So we're just going to move forward. It's K-O-C-H. This is about a woman named Catherine Cat, who goes by Kitty. Yes, correct. And she is a marketing manager and she's at uh, doing like a day of jury duty. She comes out of the courthouse and sees a couple getting into a fight. And before she can decide like if she should go call for help or whatever, the dude transforms into a like winged monster who goes on this killing spree in front of the courthouse. And she, Kitty, responds not by running away or screaming or like calling for the police. She responds by killing it. Like she knows how to kill it in her brain. 
Um, and in the middle of all of this and the ensuing chaos and the like, what do I do now that I have killed this thing? Like, what even is this? Like, before she can even start really processing how to handle it, this limousine pulls up with the most attractive man she's ever seen in her life in an Armani suit who calls who tells her that his name is Jeff he's with the agency and he needs to take her into the limo so that she can go meet his boss and um well you know like we're from the government we're here to help kind of a thing except everyone is super hot so she does because like what's her other choice she gets into the limo with this super hot guy and in the limo are more super hot guys she's like transported to this uh, facility full of other can you guess? Super hot people. <laughs> Not just guys, just everyone there is super attractive. And then um, she discovers that all of these very attractive people are, in fact, aliens from another planet who have come to Earth to protect us from other alien life forms uh, mo- that have manifested in the form of this like giant winged monster who she somehow knew instinctively how to kill. So they are very interested in her now. It's part romance because she falls for one of the super hot guys who turns out to, of course, be like amazing in bed. And everyone else is just really nice to look at. There's lots of battle scenes. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous in the best possible way. Like if you have ever, I am also a marketing person. That's part of my job here. And if I ever decided that like I wanted to be, if I'm ever in the mood to like think about becoming a really talented assassin who saves the world and is surrounded by super hot people who are really good at sex, then I read this book. Because like who doesn't want that? It's amazing. So that's tough. Touched by an Alien by Jeannie. We're going to go with Kosh because I didn't look it up. I will also say that that series has like literal dozens of books in it. So there's more. Keep you busy all through the all through the pandemic. (laughs) Exactly. It'll last you for a while. Um, I picked Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan, which is the first in the Crazy Rich Asians series. And we are getting a fourth book, which is very exciting. And I picked this because it is just the kind of like gossipy. Everybody is kind of terrible, except for maybe Rachel. And you just are watching them be terrible people with money and, you know, have all of these like not while some of their problems are real, some of them are deeply not real. And it's just like the most gossipy. I'm just going to say gossipy 5,000 times. It's really, really I find that super soothing because it's like these are not the problems that I have or that we are struggling with right now. They're Mm -hmm. problems that I can feel petty about, which is (laughs) lovely. Like sometimes that's really nice. And also I do think I, okay, I loved the movie, but it's very different in important ways from the book. So if you have seen the movie, like great, if you haven't, you should watch it. But the books are different in a really interesting way in that they are not romantic comedies and like, Rachel's story, I think, is much more interesting in the book than it is in the movie. And I just love it. So if you somehow have missed knowing about this, um, it is about Rachel, whose name I keep saying. She is uh, American-born Chinese girlfriend um, to Nicholas Young, who she, like has been dating for a while. She really likes him. And he says, oh, will you go to this wedding with me in Singapore? She says, yes. And she has no idea that he is from one of the richest families in Singapore. She's never met his family or his parents. And so suddenly she's like dropped into this sort of Gatsby-esque situation in Singapore and has no idea how to do this. She has absolutely no idea. And some people are really mean to her and some people are really nice. And she has to navigate this like intensely so social world and his mother of course does not like her because she's poor etc i mean it's just so 
yeah, it's very it, it's very enjoyable. It's very bitey. It's very social commentary. It's like present day Asian Edith Wharton is mm. how I want to call it. Like it's yes. just yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. So that is my recommendation for you. So again, Crazy Rich Asians, Kevin Kwan, three books in the series out, fourth one coming. Also watch the movie, but it's different. Why didn't they get you to write the blurb for that? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Why don't Why don't I call me Random House? <laughs> I'm available like, in a couple of months when when we're all feeling better. <laughs> Seriously, uh, and that's our show. Woohoo! We did it. Uh, another did. Another week, another show. Hopefully, the world will still be here when we're here next week um Mm -hmm. thank you all for listening as always we hope that you are all safe and as sane as possible during these really difficult times if you are looking for something to do with yourself during quarantine you could leave us a rating or a review on apple Podcasts. we appreciate it so much it helps other people to find the show and we love to see the feedback um and thank you to everybody who's reached out um in this time we really appreciate the nice thoughts so yeah that's nice um thank you also to our sponsors for making the show possible and you can find us on social media amanda where are you i'm on instagram at i'm amanda nelson and you can find me on twitter at jen irl jen with two n's irl or on instagram as i am jen irl and we will talk to you next time